Welcome to this Ubula Audio presentation of The Whispering Box Mystery by John Blaine. Volume 7 Chapter 15 Reunion and Capture It was dark inside the moving van. Rick could see lights now and then that filtered through a small window behind the van driver's seat. He, Scotty, Gizmo, and Nails were still in the taxi. Nails had directed Gizmo's every move once they reached Upper Connecticut Avenue. They had run the red light, swung sharply into a side street, and at Nails' order, Gizmo had snapped his lights off and on. At the end of the street, a moving van waited with its great rear doors open and two steel channels leading up the opening. It had been the work of a moment for Gizmo to drive the cab up the ramp. The steel channels were swung inside the van by the driver and another man, The taxi wheels had been chocked so they couldn't move, then the doors had been closed. Rick could see at once what the result would be. To the man in the blue coupe who had been following them through their time-killing wanderings, the taxi would seem to vanish. He guessed that the trick would be discovered, but by that time, the van would be on its way without a pursuer. He slumped in his seat, completely dejected. In the darkness around him, he could hear the soft breathing of the others. No one talked. There wasn't anything to say, and Nails wasn't handing out information. They would be taken to the gang headquarters, and presumably they would see Weiss and Zircon. After that, Rick didn't know what to expect. If he could only guess why the gang had gone to so much trouble to get Scotty and him, he might be able to speculate about the future. For a while, he pondered the possibility of their ganging up on Nails. It would be easy to subdue him and strap him up with their belts, but that would gain nothing. It would only place Weiss, Zircon, and Bertona in danger. The van bumped and swayed along. He thought they must have left Connecticut Avenue. It felt like a second-class road now, full of bumps. Just to make conversation, he asked, Suppose you hadn't lost the blue coupe at that red light, Nails. Your trick wouldn't have worked. Nails chuckled. Why not? We would have kept going instead of turning down that side road. Then your pal McLean would have done some fancy twisting and turning, running a few more red lights until the coupe was far enough behind so we could double back without being spotted. Getting a break on the light just made things easier. Your luck is going to turn one of these days, Scotty said quietly. You'll find yourself in tough luck that'll end up with the whole gang of you in a federal prison. Our luck will turn, Nails acknowledged. We know that. But before it does, we'll make a final cleaning and shove off, and you boys are going to help. Not on your life, Rick protested. You'll get no help from us. We've got it. Just keeping you out of sight for a while will be all the help we need. Now, stow the gab. Rick fell silent, thinking over what Nails had just said. 
It was interesting to know they were planning one final job. Where would it be directed? He stirred restlessly. Somehow they would have to get free to warn Steve Ames and the others. But they couldn't make a move until they were sure Weiss and Zircon wouldn't be placed in danger by any sudden act. There were no more lights coming through the small window in front of the van. Rick guessed that they were on a sparsely traveled road, one without street lamps. The van swerved and they bumped along for perhaps ten minutes. Then it swerved again in a half circle and stopped. Everybody out, Nails directed. And watch yourselves. We don't want to have to put a slug in any of you. The van doors swung open. Rick opened his door and got out, squeezing into the narrow space between the side of the van and the side of the cab. Nails was right behind him. Gizmo and Scotty followed. Through the now open rear of the van, Rick saw flashlights. In the reflected glare, he could make out trees. Jump down, a voice directed. Rick obeyed and saw the glint of a flashlight on a shotgun barrel. He swallowed. Scotty and Gizmo leapt to the ground beside him. This way, Nails directed. He led them around the front of the van to where a darkened house sat in the woods. It was a big Victorian mansion, shabby and neglected. Once it had been the home of persons of wealth, a wrought iron fence sagged with rust and age, and a once beautiful lawn was grown over with weeds and tall grass. They followed nails up broken steps to the front porch. He swung the door open and took them into a musty hall. Inside, behind hanging curtains, Rick saw the flicker of lights. A man came out of one of the rooms carrying a kerosene lamp. It's all okay, Nails said. No trouble. Good. You boys come with me. Nails, keep them covered. Nails took a shotgun from one of the other men who had followed them in. Let's go. Follow the light. Their guide led them up creaking stairs into an upper hallway. Rick kept his eyes open, trying to impress every detail on his memory. He had counted the men. Now he counted the stairs and the doors in the upper hallway. There were five doors, all of them closed. From under three of them, light filtered. The entire house was broken with age and disuse. A scent of mustiness filled the air. It was a depressing place. Rick half expected to see bats or spiders hovering just outside the rim of yellow lamplight. Gizmo said, This place gives me the creeps. You'll be comfortable. Nails replied briefly. The man with the lamp took out a key, opened a door, and motioned them inside. Rick led the way into a box-like room, completely devoid of furniture. Wallpaper, bleached and peeling, hung in festoons from the walls. From overhead, a broken chandelier hung. In one corner, mud wasps had built tier after tier of nests. The man with the lamp motioned to the two windows. They were sealed up and shut with heavy planks. Don't bother trying to push out the boards. There's an iron grill on the outside. You'd only waste your time. He put the lamp down in the middle of the floor. You can keep the light. We'll bring you blankets later. No chow until tomorrow morning, but you can have water. He and Nails backed to the door, keeping the boys covered with a shotgun. Then the door swung shut and the key rasped in the lock. Welcome to Dusty Manor, Scotty said. Gizmo shuddered. I got the willies. What you bet this place is haunted. Haunted is right, 
Rick said. By a bunch of spooks with shotguns and whispering boxes. That shotgun shows the kind of people we're dealing with. They have a perfectly good scientific weapon, but they carry a shotgun just to be sure. Well, what now? Scotty shrugged. He sat down on the floor, back against the wall. Nothing. What I want to know is where are Weiss and Zircon? In the house here somewhere, Rick said. He examined the room again. In addition to the door through which they had come, there was a door that evidently connected with another room. He went over and tried the knob. It turned, but the door didn't open. He pushed, and the door rattled. A voice spoke faintly from beyond the door. Who is it? Rick froze. The querulous voice belonged to Julius Weiss. Professor, Scotty called. Is that you? For an instant, there was shocked silence. Then Hobart Zircon's distinctive bellow shook the walls. Scotty, was that your voice? Rick, are you in there? Then they were all shouting at once. Are you all right, Professor Zircon? Professor Weiss, are you okay? Rick, Scotty, how did you get here? The door to the hall swung open. Nails came in and held a small black box that looked like a box camera, except for the small affair on its front. To Rick, it looked like a tiny tin horn. Evidently, Nails had more confidence in the box than he did his friend. Knock off the noise or I'll blast you, Nails warned. Rick reminded him. You said we could see the professors. Nails considered. All right, he said finally. I guess that won't do any harm. He called to somebody in the hall. Joe, do you have the key to the connecting door? The man who carried the lamp came in. He selected a key from a ring. Are you sure the boss won't object? Maybe you better check with him. It's okay, Nails said. Open it. He tapped the whispering box. Talk to your pals all you want, but keep your voices down and don't try anything. Remember, it's just as easy to blast you with this thing as not. We'll be quiet, Rick promised. The key turned in the lock, and the door swung open. Chapter 16 The Man with the Mismatched Eyes There was never such a reunion. Rick and Scotty were almost tearful with relief at finding Weiss and Zircon in good health. Gizmo, who had heard Rick and Scotty talk about the two scientists, greeted them warmly. The two professors, aside from their delight at seeing the boys, were burning with curiosity about what had been happening in the outside world. It was several minutes before they quieted down enough so that their conversation made sense. Suppose we start with what happened to you, Rick suggested. Why did you get off the train at Baltimore? And what happened? Zircon grimaced. I'm still embarrassed at how easily we were fooled. I was asleep in the lower berth, and Julius was in the upper. While we were still an hour away from Baltimore, a voice awakened us. It said, This is Ames. Listen, both of you. Get it the first time because it's urgent. Naturally, we had no reason to think that it wasn't Ames. Sounded like him. It was dark in the Pullman, and we could see only a vague blur through the opening in the curtains. The man said we were in danger, and that we had to leave the train at Baltimore. He said further we should open the vestibule door on the side away from the station, and climb the embankment where we would be met by one of his men. 
We did as directed, Weiss said. There was a man waiting in a sedan. We got into the back seat. He turned around, and well, you can imagine. The whispering box, Rick said grimly. I think they like to use them. It amuses them, Weiss agreed. We were brought here and placed in the room next door. I can't say that we have been mistreated. We've been given good meals on a regular schedule and allowed to bathe every two days. The floor is a little hard for sleeping purposes, but we've slept on worse beds. No, it hasn't been bad from a physical standpoint, but you can picture our mental state. What has been going on? Omit no details, Zircon boomed. We're starved for news. Rick acted as spokesman. He told their story in detail from the time of their arrival in Washington until the connecting door had been opened between their two prisons. Ralph Batona, Weiss said reflectively. I know his work, but we haven't seen him. Zircon rubbed his chin thoughtfully. One time when our meal was brought, there was an extra plate on the tray. I thought nothing of it then. Maybe it was for a guard. On the other hand, Dr. Bertona may be here in this building. He could be in a room down the hall, and we would have no way of knowing. I think we can assume that he is, Vice stated. The question of the moment, it seems to me, is the reason for Rick and Scotty being kidnapped and brought here. Why not Hartson or Kempner? Surely that would make more sense. Gizmo had been sitting quietly during all the discussions. Now he spoke up. Never mind the theories, gents. Seems to old Giz that the problem in hand, so to speak, is how do we get out of this rat trap? Well spoken, Zircon boomed. Julius and I have discussed the possibilities of escape. With a guard outside the door at all times and the windows barred, though, there wasn't much chance. But with five of us here... Keep your voice down, I said tartly. Do you want to inform the whole house of our plans? Zircon slapped the little professor on the back. You should know by now that these walls are fairly soundproof, Julius. We haven't heard a thing since we arrived, and I feel rejuvenated by the presence of our three young friends here. It gives me new hope. Remember all the tight places we've squeezed out of together? This creaking mausoleum is surely no more difficult a nut to crack than the hill of a thousand repentant ancestors, Hawk. Scotty held a finger to his lips. Go easy. I felt the floor vibrate a little. It may have been footsteps. They fell silent, watching and listening. In a moment, Scotty's warning was justified by the sound of a key in the door. Nails came in. He beckoned to Rick. Come on, kid. Rick got to his feet. Where to? You'll see. The rest of you stay here. I'm going with him, Scotty stated. Nails lifted the whispering box. Want to bet on it? It's okay. I'll be right back, Rick said quickly. He wasn't so sure that was the truth, but he saw no reason to involve his friends in a futile fight. Zircon smiled unpleasantly. Someday, he told Nails, I'm going to find you without that little box. Don't lose any sleep waiting, Nails said. Come on, Brent. Rick went before him down the corridor and the stairs to the first floor. Nails motioned to a closed door. Go in. The knob turned under Rick's hand, 
He pushed the door open and went into a room lit by a single lamp. At an ancient desk in one corner, a man sat, and before him was another whispering box. He was big, past middle age, with smoothly combed gray hair. But the oddest thing about him was that one eye was brown and the other was light blue. Rick recognized him at once, even though he wasn't wearing black glasses. He had been the passenger in the sedan the first day that Nails had tried to get them. "'I've seen you before,' he blurted. "'In the—' "'In the car with Nails,' the man finished. "'Yes. I was afraid your memory might be good. We were a little overconfident that day.' He motioned to a rickety chair. "'Sit down. I have some questions for you.' Rick obeyed. His palms were sweaty, and there was a queer feeling in his midriff. He wasn't sure of what might be coming. "'Don't worry, you'll be okay,' the man said. "'So are your friends, provided you don't try anything. I dislike violence and bloodshed. You may have noticed that my men have avoided it to the present. However, if violence becomes necessary, we will use it. We cannot let my personal qualms stand in the way when we are playing for such big stakes.' We won't try anything foolish, Rick said. That's wise. Now a few questions. How far have your father and Kepner progressed in their quest for a weapon to combat the box? Very far, Rick said. The box is as good as useless right now. The man smiled. A slight exaggeration, I think. Another question. How much have you heard your elders talk of Dr. Bertona? Rick considered. An evasive answer wouldn't do much good that he could see, and truthfulness might pave the way for a needed evasion later on. Not much. Dad doesn't know him at all. Dr. Kempner. There was some reason behind the last quick question. Rick wondered what sort of answer would be the least helpful. Kempner knows him, he said finally. How well? Rick was getting more and more nervous. He had a feeling he might be able to throw his questioner off by the proper answer. But what was the proper answer? He decided on the truth, lacking an indication of the answer he was expected to give. Not that well. He met him years ago, but he hasn't seen him since. He shot a sudden question of his own. Why don't you ask Dr. Bertona? I have. I just wanted to see how your answer is checked. Why did you have us brought here? We can't help you. On the contrary, young Mr. Brandt. You've helped me already. Now I suggest you go back to your friends and be content to remain quiet, and I promise in due course you'll all be freed unharmed. I hope that won't be long. So you're going to make one more try? The mismatched eyes narrowed. I should be angry at your attempt to pry, but I have to admit it's a logical deduction. Yes, we're going to try again in a few days, and we'll be successful. After that, your yawning people can hunt for us all they like. We'll be out of reach. He motioned to Nails. Take him back upstairs. Be sure the doors are well secured and guarded. You'd better put the two scientists back in their own room, too. No use giving them a chance to work together. Rick's hopes spiraled downward. Being separated lessened their chances of escape. As he started toward the door, the man at the desk rose. Have you instructed the men, Nails? I may have to make a fast getaway, and I want them on hand. He walked to the door, picking up his hat from a table. You and Joe can handle things here, can't you? Sure, boss. Everything is fixed.
Rick preceded the two men to the front of the house. The boss opened the front door and disclosed a car waiting, the motor already turning over, and a driver in the front seat whom he recognized as the one who had driven the van. Nails waited until his boss had gotten in and the car had driven off. Then he closed the door and turned to Rick. Okay, kids, back to your room. With any luck, you and your pals will be out of here in a few days. I hope so, Rick said. He looked down at the whispering box, held in Nails' hand. The cone of the nozzle was pointing right at him. He turned and went up the stairs. Toward the top, he hesitated. His friends were singing in the upstairs room. He could hear even through the closed door. They must be bellowing at the top of their lungs. Nails pushed him, and he went faster. Joe! Nails called to the man on the upper floor. Joe appeared carrying a lamp and a shotgun. What's the idea of letting them make all that noise? Ah, uh, they ain't making much noise. No one can hear it. There ain't a house for a half mile. Never mind that, Nails snapped. You've got your orders. Keep them quiet. Rick strained to make out the words. It was queer. Why would his friends be sinking? He deliberately slowed his pace and suddenly caught the tune. He almost laughed out loud. Zircon's booming voice rose above the rest. He was singing an old Stephen Foster song they had in the record library at Spindrift. It was Old Black Joe. Rick's brows furrowed. The words weren't as he recalled them. When you come in, when you come in, just be sure you're bending low. Can't you hear our gentle voices calling? Hit the floor. His pulse leaped. Zircon and the others were trying to give him a message. Suddenly he knew what they wanted him to do. Get going, Nail said sharply. Rick moved faster. In a moment he faced the door. They'll knock off that racket or I'll stiffen them, Nails growled. Open the door, Joe. Joe reached past Rick and inserted the key. He turned it. He had to tuck the shotgun under his arm to do it. He reached for the knob and pushed the door open. Rick dived headlong into the room, and over his head, a tumult broke loose. Chapter 17 The Third Scientist Rick hit the floor and kept going, scrambling frantically out of the way. His friends had a plan of attack, and he wasn't going to ruin it by getting underfoot. Once in the middle of the room, he whirled around. He was in time to see Nails stagger backward, Scotty and Gizmo clinging to him. One of Scotty's hands was covering the nozzle of the whispering box, and his hand was dark brown as though he wore a glove. Then Rick lost sight of Nails as the battling trio went through the door. Joe had been trying to get the shotgun into position, but the press of bodies at the door effectively blocked his hands. Now Zircon swung a beam-like arm, and Joe bounced against the door frame. There was a shattering of glass as the lamp in his hand dropped. All this had happened in a fraction of a second. Rick charged into the melee. For a moment he lost track of his friends, because there was a single mad jumble of arms and legs in the hallway. He hurtled the pile and let out a sudden yell. Flames from the shattered lamp were licking up the walls and across the hall floor through the spreading kerosene. Joe and Zircon were locked together on the floor, threshing around as they fought. Weiss danced back and forth across the narrow hall, seeking an opening to hit Joe with the shoe he held in his hand. Gizmo, Scotty, and Nails were all mixed up in a tangle of flailing arms and legs. 
Strangely, after the first impact, no one had uttered a sound except for an occasional grunt as a fist connected. Rick spied the whispering box on the floor and scooped it up. Holding it in one hand, he began to stamp out the spreading flames. He saw at once that it was hopeless, but he kept trying, scorching his shoes and trouser legs. If only he had a bucket of sand. But as he stamped on one patch of flame, another sprang up a foot away, licking hungrily at the pool of kerosene. Y stepped in and brought his shoe down on Joe's head. The man stopped his struggles long enough for Zircon to deliver a knockout blow. Then the big scientist got to his feet and reached down into the grunting, struggling trio next to him. One ham-like hand found Nail's collar. Zircon gave a mighty heave, and Nail's came out of the melee like an olive out of a bottle. Scotty was on his feet instantly. He took Nail's arm and pulled it behind him, locking the gangster in a judo hold. Got him, he panted. Get that fire. This whole place will go up like tinder, Weiss said. Rick, it's no use. We've got to get out of here. Rick saw that Weiss was right. The flames were going up through the torn, dried wallpaper. Already little tongues of red were nearing the ceiling. He abandoned his futile struggle and helped Zircon and Gizmo lift Joe to his feet. Ike, Gizmo commanded. He propelled the groggy thug toward the stairs. Scotty followed them with nails. Rick, Weiss, and Zircon hurried after them, Rick holding the whispering box and Weiss the shotgun. The frantic cavalcade piled down the stairs and out onto the weed-choked lawn, Rick bringing up the rear. As he stepped to the front walk, he suddenly remembered. Good night! Dr. Bertona's in there somewhere! The scientist gasped. I'll find him, Zircon bellowed. The burly professor turned and ran back into the house. Placing the black box carefully on the ground, Rick followed the scientist. Meanwhile, Weiss handed the shotgun over to Gizmo and trotted after them. Bertona, where are you? Zircon's voice lifted in a roar that shook the walls. An immediate reply came a frantic rapping on the ceiling, almost over their heads. He's upstairs, Weiss shouted. He led the way up to where the ruddy flames made the hallway light as day. Rick whipped out a handkerchief and held it to his nose as smoke eddied around them. At the top of the stairs, they paused aghast. In the few moments since they had left, the hallway was a seething mass of fire. This way. Zircon headed for the front room at a run. He pounded on the door. Mortona. I'm in here. Keys. The keys. Rick exclaimed in horror. Joe has them. No time, Zircon said. He crouched then, his powerful legs straightened as he hurled himself against the door. It rattled and a panel cracked, but didn't give. Again! This time Rick and Weiss were with him, shoulder to shoulder. The door shuddered and creaked. Again! Rick's shoulder hit the door with painful force. The hinge screws let go with a rasping screech. The spindrifters catapulted into the room, knocking down a slender man who stood within. Zircon pulled Bertona upright. Hurry, he bellowed. Fire! I tried to call you, Bertona said shakily. I heard the noise, and then I smelled the smoke. He stopped short. Rick gasped. The flames were at the top of the stairs. Zircon didn't hesitate. We've got to jump through, he said quickly. If we don't, we're trapped. The bars on the windows. Rick saw at once that Zircon was right. 
His heart quailed at the thought of trying to get through that barrier of flame, but hesitating only made it worse. Here goes, he said. He ran to the edge of the flame and sized up the situation. The worn carpet was a mass of flame, and fire was licking at the stair posts, but the leap would take him through it into the stairs. He held his breath and jumped. One foot landed on the edge of a stair, and he had to clutch at the rail to keep from falling. He turned and shouted, Come on! If you wait any longer, you won't be able to make it! He went down half a dozen stairs as the figure of Weiss appeared beyond the curtain of flame. The little professor leapt into space. Rick caught him as he clutched for balance. Here comes Bertona, Zircon yelled. Rick and Weiss braced themselves to catch the scientist. For an instant he hesitated and then jumped headlong. His foot slipped, though. He fell, half his body in the flames and the other half beyond. Rick got his arm and heaved. Weiss got a grip on his coat collar, and they dragged the scientist to safety. Down the stairs, Rick gasped. Make way for Zircon. The big scientist stood at the edge of the flames. He gauged the distance carefully, and then jumped. He landed feet first, and at that instant, the stair cracked under him. Rick gave a yell of warning as Zircon staggered and fought for balance and then fell forward on the railing. The dry wood cracked, held a moment, and then collapsed. Zircon tumbled from the stairs to the floor with a sickening thud. Scotty! Rick yelled for his pal even as he leapt to the scientist's side. If Zircon were hurt, it would take all of them to carry him from the building, and they could not waste time. Scotty came through the door with a rush and took in the situation at a glance. Zircon was groaning through clenched teeth. My leg! You'll have to help me! Rick got one arm around his shoulder while Scotty took the other. Weiss took his colleague's belt, and together they got him upright. It was the work of a moment to get him through the door. Zircon helped as best he could, hobbling on his good leg. Bertona had gone right on through the door. He was slapping his clothes and extinguishing smoldering sparks in the cloth. He was weak and pale with shock. Your friend, he managed, on the lawn. You better go help him. Gizmo, Scotty exclaimed. They rushed Zircon down the front steps and away from the house. Then, after seating him on the grass, they ran to where Gizmo was huddled against the iron fence. There was no sign of Nails or Joe. Gizmo's jaw seemed swollen in the uncertain light, but he was breathing normally. Scotty shook him vigorously, and he showed signs of returning consciousness. He was knocked out, Rick said, but he seems to be okay. He left Gizmo in Scotty's capable hands and hurried back to Zircon. The scientist was sitting upright, wincing as Weiss felt for any sign of fracture. I don't think it's broken, he said finally. We can hope it is nothing more serious than a sprain, Hobart. Zircon nodded. Bertona, are you all right? Bertona had a soft, pleasant voice. Rick could see that he was slender and not very tall, but it was too dark to tell what he looked like. I have a few burns, but minor ones. My clothing protected me. I'm grateful to you, gentlemen. May I ask your names? Weiss and Zircon introduced themselves. Rick fidgeted. He could see that Scotty had Gizmo on his feet. Let's get out of here. We don't know that the boss and the others are going to come back. He was upset at the escape of Nails and Joe and worried about the possibility of their return with guns. He searched in the grass, 
near the front door until he found the whispering box he had abandoned when they went after Bertona. There was more light now because the fire was spreading inside the house and flames were visible through the front door. I wonder if there's a fire department near here, he said. None of them had even thought about saving the house after the first attempts. The fire department could not help much, Weiss replied. Scotty, is your friend all right? Gizmo spoke for himself, chagrin in his voice. Yeah, I'm all right. I haven't any right to be, but I am. I got so interested in watching to see if you were all out and making out all right, I forgot to keep a sharp lookout. Nails swung one from the deck that knocked me over backwards. I guess I bashed my head on that iron fence because I went out like a light. It's done, Scotty said. No use crying about it. Rick's right. We gotta get out of here. Gizmo pointed to a box-like bulk in the fringe of the woods. There's the van. I'll bet my cab is still inside of it. We'll soon see, Rick said, walking swiftly over to the van. He was standing with the rear doors flung wide just as they had left it. True to Gizmo's prediction, the cab was still inside. He climbed up to the interior and saw that the steel channels on which they had driven the taxi were in a rack along one wall. With Gizmo and Scotty helping, it was the work of only a few moments to tug them out and place them. Weiss and Bertona had helped Zircon to hobble over. The big scientist's leg obviously hurt him, but he said nothing about his discomfort. Nor did Bertona mention his burns. Gizmo got into the van and made his way through the narrow space to the front of the cab. The boys and the scientists moved out of the way, Rick staying close enough to direct Gizmo as he backed down the twin ramps. The taxi roared into life. Gizmo shifted gears and then backed cautiously to the edge of the ramps. Rick ran around back and saw that the taxi was lined up perfectly. Come on, he shouted, but take it easy. Gizmo backed slowly until he was sure the wheels were in perfect alignment. Then he rolled the cab down the incline to the ground. All right, let's go. Look, Weiss pointed. At the very top of the old house, a red flame thrust through. The downstairs door was crimson with fire. The smell of smoke was everywhere now, and they could hear the crackle of the flames clearly. It's going, Rick said. The sight fascinated him. He had seen burning houses before, but always with an efficient fire department working to save them. The old mansion was doomed. He realized suddenly that they should have searched the house for clues about the gang. It was way too late now. We'd better phone the fire department, Zircon said. And I think a phone call to Ames and Hartson will be in order as well. Does anybody have any idea where we are? I think we're in Maryland, Gizmo said. What are we waiting for? Rick opened the taxi door. Bertona got in, followed by Weiss. Rick noticed the little professor was limping. Are you hurt? he asked anxiously. No, confound it. I took off my shoe to wrap that jewel person on the head. I dropped it somewhere upstairs. Rick laughed, relieved. He helped Scotty get Zircon into the cab. Then the two younger men unfolded the floor seats and got in. Gizmo put the taxi in gear and circled around. The passengers stared at the house as the cab rolled down the dirt road. It wouldn't help the old place to call a fire department now. The most firemen could do would be to keep the flames from spreading to the woods. Gizmo gave the taxi gas and a shot ahead, bouncing on the rough road. 
Rick remembered that the worst part of the ride in the van had been at the end. They should reach a hard surface road shortly. Sure enough, in a moment, the taxi reached a crossroads where the dirt road crossed a macadam highway. Gizmo braked to a stop. Which way? I have no idea. Through the front windshield, Rick saw a junction where the two hard surface roads met in a Y. I think it was the left fork, Scotty said. Rick shook his head. It wasn't a very sharp turn. I think it was the right. Okay, so do I, Gizmo agreed. Are you sure? Scotty asked doubtfully. Rick had to admit that he wasn't. Gizmo wasn't positive either. Try the right fork, Sarkon suggested. It's bound to take us somewhere. Gizmo swung the taxi onto the right fork and stepped on the gas. There were woods on both sides of them. Rick couldn't see any sign of civilization. Dr. Bertona spoke up. Now that we're safe, may I ask what happened? I was resigned to staying in that room indefinitely. Then I heard sounds that seemed to indicate some sort of fight. I called once or twice, but no one answered. We were pretty busy, Rick said. Very busy, Weiss agreed. He launched into a recital of events, including what Rick had told him. And that is how we happened to be prisoners, he concluded. Rick spoke up. Dr. Bertona, what happened in Pittsburgh? To put it briefly, I was decoyed into a waiting car. When I discovered I was a prisoner, I tried to get away, and I was given a dose of ultrasonics. The Whispering Box, Scotty said. Hey, Whispering Box? It's a good name for it. How'd you manage to overcome the gang members without being paralyzed by it? That's what I'd like to know, Rick said. In the excitement, he had forgotten that the revolt had succeeded in spite of the whispering box Nails had held in his hand. He reached down to the floor and retrieved the captured box. Here it is. Why didn't it work? Thanks, Scotty, for the idea that put the box out of action, Zircon said. To begin with, we hatched our little plot while you were downstairs talking with... Rick. Who are you talking with, anyway? The boss of the gang, Rick replied. Go ahead, Professor. I'll tell my story later. Well, we decided that if a break were to be made, it had to be done before they separated us. We assumed they wouldn't dare leave us together. Scotty proposed a solution for the Whispering Box. He suggested we use the mud wasp nests and make a mud pie and plaster it into the nozzle of the box. That, he thought, would give us time enough to go into action against Nails and Joe. So that was why Scotty's hands had been brown. They'd been covered in mud. We had drinking water in our room. We used enough of it to wet the nests until they had a play-like consistency. And then you started singing. Rick laughed at the memory. First I thought you'd all gone crazy until I got a sense of the song. When Joe opened the door, I went in head first. Scotty reached over you and plastered his handful of mud right into the box, Weiss said. It wouldn't have worked, Scotty said. The pressure in the box would have blown the mud right out again. Weiss and Zircon chuckled. We realized that, Zircon boomed. We weren't sure you did, but we felt it was better to try something than to give up without a struggle. Turned out that the mud wasn't necessary anyway, Scotty said. Nails didn't even have a chance to push the button before Gizmo banged into him. Gizmo spoke from the front seat. No signs of civilization yet, 
Think we ought to turn around? More than ten minutes had passed since they left the old mansion. They hadn't seen a single house or light. Rick thought that they had to be deep in the Maryland woods, if they were really in Maryland. There must be some sort of village close by. Surely the house we just left wouldn't have been built so far from stores or other people. Darkness, there are houses and stores nearby, Wise said. We have just taken the wrong road. If we turn around, we lose all this time. Let's just keep going for a while, said Rick. Then, if there isn't any sign of civilization, we can turn around then. Gizmo nodded and picked up speed again. I'll bet Joe and Nails are still running, Scotty guessed. They wouldn't stay near the house. More likely they are riding. I'm sure they know this section of the country better than we do. They probably went out of the woods to some nearby community and stole another cow to take them back to Washington. After making a telephone call, recommended. They probably hated to tell the boss we were free, but they wouldn't dare not tell him. He remembered his conversation with the boss. I wonder if he's pulling another robbery. Listen, we better step on it. Scotty switched on the dome light and looked at his watch. Too late. If he went out to steal another secret, he has plenty of time to get back to the city. You realize it's almost an hour and a half since we made a break for it? Rick looked at his own watch unbelievingly. It didn't seem like more than a few minutes had passed, but Scotty was right. Anyway, he suggested, let's get to a phone as soon as we can. Lights ahead, Gizmo called. All eyes turned to the front. For up the road, twinkling lights indicated some sort of settlement. In a few moments, they were rolling into the driveway of a service station. Rick jumped out before the cab had stopped rolling. He ran into the station and found the attendant tilted back on a chair, feet up on a desk. He was dozing. Wake up, Rick said. Listen, do you have a phone? The attendant opened his eyes. Nope. Where can we find one? Please, it's urgent. The attendant thought it over. Maybe Lake's Grocery? No, they'd be closed now. Rick asked impatiently. Where are we? There has to be a town near here. This is it. Our phones are connected through Kensington. That's quite a piece back down the road. Are we in Maryland? Sleepy eyes opened wider. Shucks, yeah. Didn't you know? Which way is Washington? The attendant looked out at the taxi. Back the way you done come. That driver must be a green hand. Never knew a taxi driver before. Didn't know where he was going. Rick was almost dancing with impatience. He had a sense of urgency that was growing by the minute. They had to find a phone. If Steve were warned, he might be able to catch the boss. Where's the nearest place we could be sure of finding a phone? Kensington Fire Station? Back the way you done come. Turn into the other fork and keep going. You can't miss it. Thanks. Could you give us some gas in a big hurry? Rick tossed a $5 bill to the attendant. Before the man had time to screw the tank cap back on, Rick jumped into the cab and instructed Gizmo. Scotty was right. Turn around. Go back. Take the other fork. Step on it, Giz. The taxi whirled around, tossing them into a corner. Gizmo straightened out and gave the cab the gas. The minutes ticked past as the woods flew by on either side. Rick fidgeted his eyes glued to the highway. 
the successful break for freedom had taken their minds from the importance of getting in touch with their friends. If only they'd been able to call at once, they might have been able to warn Steve that the boss was on the loose. Gizmo had the throttle to the floor. The speedometer crept up to sixty and passed. Ahead, the road was deserted. Rip remembered that they hadn't seen another car. That should have been warning enough that they were on the wrong road. The fork of the road approached, and Gizmo slewed the cab into the turn without slowing. A few hundred yards ahead, they whizzed past a gas station, closed for the night. Rick thought he could see lights far ahead. As the distance closed, he was sure of it. What fools they had been. The nearest settlement had only been a few minutes' drive away. The taxi whirled off of the country Macadam Road and onto a concrete highway, and in a moment they sped past dark houses. The lights were closer now. Before they realized they were so close, Gizmo was breaking to a stop in front of a red brick firehouse. This had to be the Kensington Fire Station. Yes, the sign over the door said it was. Rick jumped out, scouting the others behind him. A fireman came to meet them, his eyes curious at their evident haste. Do you have a telephone? Rick asked. Sure, right inside. What is it? We must notify the police, Dr. Bertona said. Something terrible has happened. Rick looked at him, and for the first time he saw the scientist in clear light, and a shiver ran through him as answers to some of their most puzzling questions clicked into place and showed a definite, incredible scheme. For Dr. Rolf Bertona had mismatched eyes. He ran for the phone, the fireman beside him. Just dial, the fireman said. We're on the Washington Exchange. What happened? Anything to do with the fire? The engines are all over there now. Tell you later, Rick shot back. He lifted the receiver and dialed the number to the lab. On the second ring, Dr. Kempner's voice replied. Dr. Kempner's office? This is Rick. Has Dr. Bertona been there? He said swiftly. Kempner's surprise was in his voice. Why, yes, Rick. How did you know? Where have you been? Is he still there? Rick persisted. No, he came in about 40 minutes ago. Then about 10 minutes ago, he left. I don't know where he went. Rick groaned. Call Steve Ames and tell him. We're coming right away, and we have Weiss Zircon and the real Dr. Bertona with us. What? It's true, Rick said. We have the real Dr. Bertona. The one you thought was Bertona was the leader of the Whispering Box Gang. <laughs>